0: Скажи мне, американец, В чем сила?
1: А вы что, собираетесь на ней жениться?
0: Да. Ух,
1: красота-то какая! Лепота! Таможня дает добро! <говорит> И
0: вообще не называй мне, пожалуйста, вероятно. Кто я? the
1: Don't torture me, I can't live without him. Hi, my name's Ali this is the Russ Unite podcast, where we watch Russian films and films with a Russian connection. As always, I am joined by a guest, and today I am joined by a returning guest. So, hi, Martin Kessler. Nice to have you on the show again. Hello, it's great to be back. So, long-time listeners, Martin will remember you from the My Friend Ivan Lapshin episode, but for those who haven't caught up with a back catalogue, Could you tell us a little bit about
0: yourself? Uh, Sure. I'm a filmmaker and sound editor, and I do lots of podcasting over on flicksplice.com. If folks want to check out that site, uh, they might want to listen to the Whitnail and I episode, which you're a guest on. So that might be a good entry point for listeners.
1: Yeah, I will, uh, I will talk about with Nail and I to anyone who will give me the opportunity. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you very much for plugging that particular episode. Yeah, it's been a little while since we since we last talked. What have you been up to since then, both in terms of the filmmaking and and the, the podcasting? Because obviously there is Flix, Flixwise Canada,
0: but you're you're a guest on quite a few other things as well. Oh, sure. It's a, it's a big, long list of things. I, I think probably people's best bet is just to follow me on Twitter at MovieKessler, where I update pretty regularly whatever my projects are or latest podcasts are, and you can see I've got lots and lots of things on the go.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and Podchaser is is pretty good as well in that, it, you know, it, you can find Martin on there and, and me on there, and then you can see the other podcasts we've been on besides, you know, our main one that that we each that we each host <laughs> um i wanted to give a particular shout out to you've been on uh we cut heads a couple of times now i'm trying to remember what film it, it was that you were on back for. when
0: it was the um the kurosawa podcast the high and low podcast and now that yes. it's uh, focused on spike lee i went on a episode to talk about melvin van people's early film story of a three-day pass and watermelon man so people might like. oh that. that's yeah. right yes yeah and recently i was on wrong reel I, I talked about a film with a russian connection a soviet era film v which is based on the gogol story which draws on ukrainian folklore and it's uh, it's a lot of fun so if people want to hear me talk about something else that might be kind of connected to the podcast uh, that that might be a good one too yeah that's
1: that's well worth uh, worth checking out yeah i mean Gogol sits in a kind of funny position in regard to Russian literature, as you mentioned on the on the episode. He was actually from Ukraine, which was a part of the Russian Empire at that point, mm-hmm. but he wrote in, in Russian. But my understanding from talking to my Russian lit grad wife, Carrie, who's been on the show quite a few times, <laughs> is that although he wrote in Russian, he dropped a lot of Ukrainian words in there. So he kind of like enriched the the Russian language and and Russian and Ukrainian are there's quite a bit of overlap mm-hmm. i mean i only am semi competent in russian and I've done like GeoLingo Ukrainian, so, <laughs> so, uh, but just doing that, you kind of go, okay, I can kind of, I can kind of see how these are branches of this, of the same, uh, the <laughs> sure. same tree, as it were. Um, and in terms of we itself, I've only seen bits and pieces of it, but notably, it stars, um, or at least there's an important role for Natalia Valé, who, yes. folks who've been following this show. Will probably know her from uh, Prisoner of the Caucasus, but you know the roles that she plays in in that and then in V couldn't be more different.
0: Although there's like kind of a comic dimension, I I find like V it's um it's a horror comedy film which mm. I think goes a little bit overlooked. Uh, and it's just like such an energetic and unusual kind of performance that I I really enjoy it.
1: Yeah, it it's. I don't know whether "campy" is the is the right word, but from the bits that I've seen, it is it's quite kind of um, I mean, maybe "overblown" is the wrong word, but uh, also, but it, it, yeah, like you say, it is very energetic and kind of kind of full on in a right. maybe sort of slightly Francis Ford Coppola Dracula kind of way, although clearly with I, I not nearly that. the budget that he <laughs> what, what really he got to play with on that
0: that people might know is the Evil Dead films maybe especially Evil Dead 2 that kind of mixing of the horror and comedy and the kind of outrageousness that goes along with that mm, mm yeah horror comedy is quite a hard one to do
1: i mean i haven't horror is not a genre i've seen a, a ton of mm-hmm. but actually making it funny and kind of scary at the same time is is a tricky one i literally a few days ago finally got around to watching what we do in the shadows which oh, that's uh, a lot of fun <laughs> yeah yeah um anyway <laughs> i feel like we've probably drifted uh severely <laughs> off, off off topic but you know that's kind of uh, uh our mo uh over here so yes do apologise, listeners, if this is uh, your first time on the show, but this is pretty much par for the course. Um, but anyway, yeah, the film we're watching today was was actually one that you suggested that we do a little while back, back and just, you know, my organisational skills were only just getting around to it. But, um, but yeah, so uh, what was it that you thought we should watch today uh chapayev <laughs> <laughs> it should always come with a hurrah i feel like that's obligatory <laughs> <laughs> i think so it's uh
0: 1934 film and like for me growing up this was always kind of the russian film or what i thought of mm. as the russian film and i don't know if it really has that reputation outside of uh, Eastern Europe, I guess. But even before I'd ever seen the film, I sort of recognized the, the image that you see on the posters of the character, the figure Chapayev pointing and his uh, machine gunner Petka. Like, that That was so recognizable to me. Um, I, I guess it's iconic. But and last time we talked... On the show, it was about uh, my friend Ivan Lapshin, which is set in the 1930s. And I sort of pictured mm, that of as course, being yeah. like, you know, the characters in that film could have gone and seen Chapaev in the movie theater. Uh, and I think... Do you know what?
1: They almost certainly would have done yes. because from what I read, I did I did actually a, a bit more preparation than usual. I managed to pick up Julian Graffy's book, literally just called Chapaev. And he quotes, I think like 30 million people had seen Chapaev within a year of the release of the film which was late 1934 i think it was november so yeah. so it's uh, 85th anniversary is it was within a couple of days of uh, of this recording although this will probably come out a bit later mm-hmm. but uh, anyway <laughs> yeah yes um it's interesting what you say about um it being iconic this was one that i'd somehow managed to completely miss hearing anything about in my, you know, five years living in Russia. <laughs> it's 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 funny, I think I wasn't watching as many films mm-hmm. back then. Like, prior to going out there, I had a kind of big few years for watching a lot of films, going to the cinema a lot, and subsequently, since I came back, I've kind of got back into that again, but I just didn't see that that much, and it somehow didn't come up in conversation on the other hand the the photo and the image of chapayev looked kind of vaguely familiar when i got the book so i'm kind of like i'm sure i've seen this on on posters and you know
0: merchandise and it's been referenced and parodied and i like i think in that uh, julian graffy book there's like a photo of uh, i think maybe graffiti that's kind of stylized to copy that or maybe it was on the wikipedia site like this ukrainian uh, graffiti that's sort of an updated version of that image and you know it, it it's all over it's just uh, I, maybe it's the sort of thing that like you have to sort of know to look for it but <laughs> yes yeah. once, once once you, you know, know what it, it
1: is th- you see it everywhere yeah yeah and just yeah from reading the book it sounds like it is a film that maybe not necessarily at this point all russians have have seen but it's it's certainly very much one that's kind of in the in the popular consciousness it's
0: it's seminal it's like I, i think sort of the equivalent for um maybe american audiences or western audience would be like some of these big john wayne westerns like you know probably the actual number of people who Have seen uh, Stagecoach isn't as great today as the number of people who just recognize the images from it. Or, you know, it's it's Mm. that thing that kind of looms, you know, even today in the popular culture, even though it's uh, quite old. So I I think like it's kind of the equivalent to, you know, maybe some of those big Westerns or (laughs) that kind of thing. Or
1: or even going back to the horror connection, something like the original Frankenstein with Boris Karloff or the Bela Lugosi Dracula. I haven't seen either of those. Mm -hmm. um, But, you know, Everyone, when they think of those two characters, probably the mental image they're they're getting is uh is is from those, right. you know. Right. Even though there have been you know a ton of subsequent adaptations, there's there's something about doing the first big version of of things, <laughs> you know. That's a good point. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Obviously, with Dracula, there was there was like a pseudo. There was the Nosferatu, which is the <laughs> unlicensed, yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, some people may not may not know that there was basically a court order to destroy all the negatives mm-hmm. of of that because it was a breach of copyright. Which, like, thank goodness they didn't get all of them. <laughs> right. Yeah, I actually watched that and also the uh, Werner Herzog uh, remake oh, yeah. that's really this year remake. for the first yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it, that's that's one of those things. I kind of think remakes, if it's you know, 50 plus years, or, well, probably about 50 years at the time, that's kind of like, okay, fair fair enough. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, in a couple of years the Godfather is, you know, open season for that, but...
0: (laughs) I I think it depends, like, if you have something new to offer, or, Mm, you know, and sometimes it might be just because the technology's changed so much over time or you have different actors to work with, you might bring something different or an auteur who has just a different vision. But um, the original Nosferatu still scares me, actually. like uh, I think because it's so old, something about the you know the scratched up old images has this kind of creepiness to it. Like There's one shot of him just looking through the window across the street and it, it still like, gives me goosebumps and kind of freaks me out, <laughs> even today.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a different kind of scariness mm-hmm. to kind of like, you know, oh, suddenly someone's appearing with a knife, <laughs> sure. you know, the jump scare model. It's much more of an insidious kind of like, ugh, you the,
0: know. The, like... the Nosferatu creature just looks wrong. Like, I always think, um, especially that version compared to some of the other interpretations of the Dracula character, like, Nosferatu's this thing that's not a human being that's just impersonating a human being so it can eat us and it just gets into that uncanny valley territory and it's such a good kind of physical performance how awkward he is and how like mm. wrong he looks <laughs> i really like it
1: yeah yeah uh well and and going back to uh what we do in the shadows i love that they essentially went yeah we're just doing the nosferatu <laughs> vampire <in> the <laughs> Yeah, except he's, co- except he's called Peter.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the way they talk about him, like he's just one of the guys, but it's this like terrifying thing in a coffin in the basement.
1: <laughs> yeah, whereas the rest of them are semi normal ish dudes who happen to be vampires. Mm-hmm. There's actually a, a slightly. Uh, you know, we're doing all the connections here today, but there's something about their flat that's very with Nail and I. Yeah, uh, it's except true. it's. You know, <laughs> I should do it. Just should I should do a side by side of that, actually, that, <laughs> the, that of the cool. of the sink. Right, <laughs> that's probably the main thing, to be honest. But yeah, um, yeah. I actually, before we we crack on with with the film, I wanted to talk a little bit about 1930s movies in general. I mean, we kind of name dropped the original Frankenstein mm-hmm. and and Dracula, just kind of in in passing. But it's it's a decade where I've not actually seen that much. From there, and, and actually knowing that I was going to be doing this at some point made me think, Do you know what, I should actually see see a few more. But I, yeah, I'd be really interested in hearing your, like, 1930s
0: highlights. Oh, sure. Uh, Sorry, <laughs> putting you on the spot, yeah. I mean, some of the classic Hollywood stuff that was being made at that time was... I love uh, the Thin Man's, uh, you know, 1930s film from classic Hollywood I really love. Or, you know, you think about stuff like King Kong, the grand spectacle of it, and just how fast-paced that was. Like, really, the Hollywood films, I I think, from that period were some of the best, actually. And it, it especially early 1930s films, it's kind of interesting to see that transition from silent to the sound era, how, like, it could be a little bit awkward at times. Uh, and, you know, because Soviet Union was a little bit, behind mm. technically, uh, lagged a little bit in that transition. So I know uh, Chapayev was almost a silent film. Yeah, I was going
1: to mention that, actually. That apparently the the directors, uh, Georgi and Sergei Vasiliev, supposedly the Vasilyev brothers, that's how they were captioned, who aren't actually brothers <laughs> who aren't actually can, brothers <laughs> and if you can read if you if you're familiar with like russian uh, naming conventions and you saw their full names you'd be like wait a minute you're not brothers because you don't have the same patronymic
0: yeah uh, but right but the middle name it's not not, not the, the same, same as you can tell not the same not dad the same i mean i guess father, you could so. i guess you yeah. you,
1: could ob- you could obviously yeah. be half half brothers um, but that doesn't go quite so well on the on the you know the title card. That but they would, then
0: you would have a, probably a different last name. But, but yeah, the, the, that's the whole true. story about him—I um, forget w- which one it was—but like reading this magazine article <laughs> in the Soviet film magazine and being yeah. like, "Huh, that's not me." <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I suppose it goes to show that you know. Uh, even in the Soviet Union, they had like instincts for marketing things, and they just yes. went. Do
0: you know what? They're both called Vasilyev, so let's make them the Vasilyev brothers. There's something very like vaudeville about that. Like I always mm. have to check when I hear these like famous acts. Like were the Marx brothers really brothers? Okay, they were really. Okay, just just checking. Like <laughs> I always yeah, feel well that they don't even
1: they don't even particularly look all that similar i mean not that siblings always have to look super similar um but uh
0: (laughs) yeah i feel like especially like back then that it was like almost like a marketing thing or branding thing if you're doing like a you know two or more person act you would be like oh the whatever brothers or the whatever sisters yeah yeah exactly and i think you can still see in the film like i think there was also like a silent version edited because like a lot of theaters weren't equipped for sound at that point quite yet, and like it still has these intertitles which are kind of weird where mm. it's it's like still feels um, similar to something you'd see in the silent film you know the village has been captured like a big title that comes up in the middle of the film so it's kind of right on that line yeah
1: which in some in some ways is perhaps less awkward sometimes depending on how it's done than Having like a Basil exposition moment, it's sometimes mm. just much cleaner to just stick a sticker, or or even just having a or having a voiceover. It's it's just a, an extra tool in the toolkit. And because you know they were so close to that being the way you ha- sort of had to do things, it was probably just more at the tip of people's brain as like yeah we can just use this. Whereas I think much more recent filmmakers, it wouldn't necessarily occur to them that it's an okay thing to do. But yeah, it can be pretty efficient. Although I I remember hearing on um, Adam Roche's podcast, Secret History of Hollywood, one of the things that Hitchcock tried to do and was really inspired by German impressionist, uh, expressionist, sorry, (laughs) mixing my terminology, (laughs) whichever one of those it was. The the, the expressionist, uh, yeah. uh, The German filmmakers, and they one of the things he noticed that they did was that they were really sparing with with the title cards and he had a feeling that the more title cards you do if you if you have a lot then it's a sign that you're not really doing the visual story storytelling properly
0: right it, it could be a sort of a crutch the way that you know heavy exposition is a crutch in a lot of films today i think films that have very strong visual storytelling you don't really need to have anything explained to you you just pick it up as you watch and that's you know, I mean, every film's different, and, uh, you know, there, there's a place for My Dinner with Andre and that sort of thing, too, but I, I think just, you know, in general, the idea of uh, strong visual storytelling, it, it means less text, less speaking, because the film is a visual mm, medium. Yeah, and you you might
1: as well play to that. Play to its right. strengths. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna just kind of drop a few 30s films that I've watched watched recently that I, that I really liked. Probably first and foremost uh, would be old dark house i was really surprised oh, by that that's
0: really great yeah, yeah i like that one a lot. and just <laughs> like
1: on paper it it sounds kind of corny but it works really well i was just just sort of like semi rewatching it last night they use a lot of thunderclaps and a lot of like whistling wind and yeah like i say on paper that sounds super corny but they're Committed enough to it that it just works well as part of the sound design and just is unsettling. Um, right. Yeah. I don't know why it's effective because it sounds like it would be cheesy, but it, it
0: kind of works. No, like, James Whale, well, I think, is a really great director. He also did uh, Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein yeah. and The Invisible Man. And, like, he has such a strong sense of style, I think, compared to some of his other contemporary filmmakers. Um, have you seen the film uh, Gods and Monsters with Ian McKellen? As No, James I Bell? haven't,
1: but I've heard I've heard that it's good and it's good, yeah. Yeah, I definitely want to check out those two Frankenstein films and other things that he's that he's done because I was I was just really really impressed. I I'd, I'd heard about it for a while but I would only just got around to watching it and <laughs> yeah, I mean there's some really very very striking visual stuff. I mean the way that all of the characters look and you know, there's again horror horror comedy it, it is it is a funny film but it right. is also properly creepy <laughs> right and then um also 30s films i think the the one i first saw and have it's probably one of the films i've seen the most times in my life would be the uh the Errol Flynn Robin Hood okay you know, I, yep. I was a kid back at the time where you'd record films on vhs off the tv and then you could just play them and play them and i must have seen that film so many times and you know i didn't really know who errol flynn was i didn't know who Bar- basil rathbone was i didn't know who claude Rains was but yeah so many so many great actors and it's it's big it's hammy but it is it's is so much fun i it's it's almost one i was kind of like want to rewatch
0: watch ev- every year just because it's so entertaining <laughs> right I, I I'm trying to cycle through, like just in my mind, what are some of the 1930s films like I, that I really like, or that I can think of. I mean, some of the early Hitchcock stuff, like Thirty Nine Steps, it's great. Um,
1: yeah, not seen that one, but I have seen the
0: first version
1: of The, the Man Who Knew Too Much. Oh, yeah, and I liked the comic sensibility in, in that as well. I thought the the husband and wife had a really kind of touching and funny. It's just a great compact little film and then um of course you've got like peter laurie in that
0: so i think
1: i'm right in saying that that was one of his first english language roles i think that he... was
0: his first english language role because before that i think the only english he had done was like an english dubbed version or not dubbed but um when they filmed m they would film like different versions for different markets. So he would just redo the scene again in English or I think maybe also in French. Uh, So there's like different versions. If you go and look at uh, maybe it's on the M DVD that there's like clips from these alternate versions since I don't, like when you're making a silent film it's easy to just swap out the oh yeah <laughs> but when you're doing a language like some of the early sound films before they had dubbing they would just like film three different versions of each scene or five different versions mm, of the mm. actors who would have to perform in different languages
1: or or, um,
0: or you I, th- I think with with the bella lugosi dracula they
1: had different actors shoot on the same sets in spanish i, I think i read right, recently yeah.
0: or um I think maybe it was a different cast. Like they they would come in at night and just film on the same sets. And like, I yeah. I don't think I've ever actually seen that version. I've had it like sitting on the, and, and I know some people actually consider that to be the superior version. But mm, so I yeah. should get around to seeing it sooner or later. But I I know it's like with the the collection that the, the Blu Ray. It's just I haven't actually sat down to watch it. Uh, another even... 1930s film. Oh, sorry.
1: Yeah, sorry, uh, I just thought, as we'd mentioned it already, the uh, the Werner Herzog Nosferatu, they did two versions of that, I think, and I uh, the, the version I watched was the English language version, and I've heard that the German version is, is better, just because people's performances are a bit more natural, because right.
0: they're speaking languages then. Or more... in the case of Kinski, uh, more unnatural, <laughs> I don't know. Wow, well, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, tr- that's true, yeah, yeah. Uh, But uh, a film I really like is uh, Young Mr. Lincoln by uh, John Ford. And I I was just reading the other day that um, Eisenstein really loved the film. Mm. And it was a big inspiration for him in making the um, Ivan the Terrible movies, which I I never would have guessed when I, you know, if you had just seen the two on their own, Mm. I don't know if you necessarily would have expected there to be a connection. But now I want to go back and rewatch them both together just to see if I can find any similarities. Yeah,
1: John Ford's a bit of a bit of a blind spot in terms of stuff i've i've seen but i have seen uh in fact we covered it for on here yeah the, mm-hmm. i've seen the first bit of uh of ivan the terrible I haven't haven't got got around to seeing part two and again returning to a, a, a thread from earlier in the conversation that definitely even though it was, was the 40s i i found that quite a hard film to get on with because it did it did feel very much like a director who was much more comfortable doing silent films being forced to do it with sound I mean it's visually great but it's also there's quite a bit of kind of clunkiness so I I agree
0: I I think I think that's exactly right I mean we're gonna get into Chapayev in a minute but I kind of prefer you know what they're doing as opposed to what Eisenstein was doing from around the same time like I think that very sort of stylized big dramatic performance kind of Like, you know, never really worked for me with the Mm. Ivan the Terrible films or, you know, I mean, like you said, visually very impressive. And I think like Eisenstein, his contributions maybe have more to do with his um, theorizing and stuff like that. And that's kind of why he's taught in a lot of like Western film schools. Like, I, I think I was telling you before. It was like every single film class I ever had. They had to show *Pettledship Potemkin* or at yeah. least the, the the step sequence. Uh, you know, just on its own, be, like that was considered to be so important. And you get a little bit sick of it after a while. So that actually kind of like turned me off of uh, Eisenstein for a while. But I, I can still appreciate like you know his ideas and his uh, career. It's just not really for me. I found.
1: Yeah, um, speaking of him, the first podcast appearance I ever did, I guested on a podcast called Classic Schmasick, which is uh, sadly no longer with us, but if you have CastBox, all 50 episodes are still on there, so uh, that's definitely worth digging up. And the uh, their rating system was Classic if it lived up to the hype and Schmasick <laughs> if it didn't. And right. one of the hosts gave Battleship Pachomkin Schmasick Except for the step sequence, which he okay. gave classic, <laughs> uh, which you know is fair. It's it's very impressive, but uh, mm. yeah, yeah. There's there's a kind of hamminess to some of the some of the other bits. Um, actually, that was going to be one of the questions I wanted to ask you, as someone who's already seen Shapayev, is how bash you over the head with propaganda? Is it? in comparison to Battleship Potomkin, because that is one of those films where it really wears its message, you know, on both sleeves, emblazoned on front and back of its jersey, and, you know, down both legs for good
0: measure. It's kind of like,
1: hey, (laughs) communism, good. Everything else, not good.
0: Um, I'd say not quite as bash over the head. I mean, you never quite forget that you're watching a propaganda film, a sort of myth-making film, but I think, like, Again, comparing it to these American Westerns, like those were also about sort of myth-making and uh, mythic figures. And I think, like, for me, have, you know, it's sort of like, yeah, I get there's a message there. It's propaganda. It's sort of blatantly propaganda, but it's also, like, entertaining and charming. And, you know, it, it sort of doesn't bother me as much that it's propaganda because there are films that come along later and kind of take a revisionist approach or kind of critical approach to what it's saying. And, like... I don't know, that defangs it a little bit, mm. I find, in the same way that, like, you know, again, c- comparing it to these Westerns, I think of, you know, films like Dead Man or some of the revisionist Westerns that came, like, in the 70s or later that took a critical eye to that, you know, classic Hollywood Western myth-making that, you know, maybe these messages aren't actually <laughs> good, what, what's being promoted. Or, you know, even, like, uh, John Ford himself, I, I think with The Searchers, he kind of, started deconstructing the the kind of inherent racism that's Mm. in a lot of the earlier Westerns and, uh, you know, that you can kind of tie directly to John Wayne as an icon, especially (laughs) these days. But Yeah,
1: and the thing is, I mean, you should be watching films with a critical eye anyway. mm -hmm. You know, you shouldn't just go, whatever's in this is absolutely 100% historically accurate you know right Even I mean, even if yeah <laughs> directors aren't deliberately trying to to pull the wool out, over your eyes or have you know conscious sort of bad intentions but uh yeah i think just with anything you you kind of have to use your brain because that's what your brain's there for
0: right I, I think that's a good attitude and i think it's also possible to Watch something that, like, yeah, I disagree with the message or I, you know, disagree with the film's ideology, but mm. at the same time, I can appreciate how it says it and find it interesting and kind of, you know, take that approach instead of dismissing it outright, you know. Or I, I think, like, with a film like Chapayev, there's obviously a lot to talk about and there's a lot to dig into. Um, you know, so like just kind of writing it off as propaganda it's a little bit like, uh, you know, I, I think like there's actually something to get out of this
1: Yeah, and I, th- I think there is a conversation to be had about financially supporting films where it's clear that there's something kind of ideologically underhand or just you know, it's a, tr- it's a I tricky mean, it, one. It's a
0: little bit different when you're talking about like a 1930s film Oh that's yeah, part of a f- exactly. failed state yeah. <laughs> but um it, you know, like, it, uh, sort of a more recent example I can think of that I think relates to what you're saying is the film uh, Hero, the Zhang Yu mm, yeah. Big Epic Film Production Hero, which has like a really nationalistic kind of message going on. Yeah, and, authoritarian. You know, it, it's sort of repair- yeah, authoritarian. It's good that this and-
1: <laughs> guy crushed everyone. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, you know, at the same time, like, you know, that's probably one of the best films I've ever seen in a movie theater. Like, you know, in, in sort of recent years or since it was released, but... Mm. Oh, I would have know, loved like, to have seen that on a big screen. Oh, like, it, it's gorgeous, it's, like, beautifully acted, beautifully performed. How it says this, like, terrifying, horrible message is really <laughs> elegant and beautiful, you know? So, yeah. like, it, it can kind of make you feel uh, complicated and keep it mm. like, that's... Sometimes, I don't know, like problematic films I feel like that make you wrestle with things are almost more interesting than films where it's like, oh, that was good, and I like the message, and I'm going to move on with my life. You know, there's sort of a lack of closure that comes with these films where it's like, oh, I don't know how to feel about this that might actually keep me coming back. I don't know. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think there's there's something to be said for being able to say, okay, this this is really effective storytelling. Maybe the yes. story it's telling is as you say problematic but there's still stuff you can learn from and and that me- at least it's you know it starts a conversation i guess you can say well mm. you know actually this isn't quite the only interpretation of say chinese history or
0: you know sure i i think it just takes that critical eye and sort of like be prepared to kind of inform yourself with the you know a little bit of research a little bit of context and kind mm. of you know if you're gonna dig in make sure you have the the plastic medical gloves on you know it's it's a little bit like you know watching something like uh triumph of the will or whatever it is oh like, my goodness yeah, yeah this is important this is terrible propaganda that supported this regime but it's also like a very influential film and um uh, you know it, it's like okay you know i, I think it's better to get something out of this, but you do have to have that critical eye and be very yeah. wary. And, you know, I think like, you know, watch it responsibly is maybe the best way to describe it. I feel like.
1: Yeah. But that's, a, that's just generally a good way to, to <laughs> right. live your life. I mean, I, I kind of feel like we should move on to the film, but it, it just yeah. in, in passing as I think it's kind of uh, germane to the conversation. Um, Have you seen, oh, I was going to say the original version of the four feathers, but it's not the original version because, That that story got made a whole version. Yeah, the the the, the nineteen thirty-nine. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yeah, I had a very similar feeling about that. Mm -hmm. The couple of times I've watched it is that there's there's some great visual stuff, and there's some there's some really fun performance stuff, and I mean it even does kind of send up British imperial attitudes somewhat but it also kind of says that they're sort of okay at the same time, which is kind of gross and icky. But it's, you know, again, it's, I would say it's worth watching.
0: It's definitely better than, like, putting your blinders onto these things and just not trying to understand the history and, like, how that history was represented on film and all the things that sort of go along with that. I, I always think it's better to know and to struggle with this stuff than to just kind of block it out and pretend it doesn't exist.
1: But. Yeah, although I guess the one caveat I would say is is that perhaps if you're more directly affected by those issues <laughs> knowing it ahead of time, so if it's something that would potentially be be painful, you know, going going in and not being blindsided by something like that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's tricky because sometimes you want to watch a film and not have it be spoiled. You just kind of want to go in with a complete sort of blank slate and maybe <laughs> you know the poster image that said probably the poster image uh for uh, the four feathers would give you an idea that mm, maybe this is a little right. racist um <laughs> but uh yeah uh it's it's a tricky it's a tricky balance i know i feel like that's a that's a cop-out but
0: uh, yeah no, no co- context is important and it, it's sort of you don't want to spring stuff on people necessarily no. but yeah or, like, I don't know. Again, like, thinking back to, like, especially a lot of these 1930s Hollywood films, they can be so racist, like, mind-bogglingly racist. Yeah. It, comes um, out and it just, like, slaps you in the face with it, and you're like, oh, God. Like, um,
1: I <laughs> want to say, is it um, High Sierra? The um, It's a Humphrey Bogart film? Oh, yeah. Um yeah. Yeah, there's a black character in that, and it's just like, oh, my goodness. The fact that you wrote this character in there, and then you made a black actor act this part it's it's so demeaning i feel so mm-hmm. sorry for that guy i'm afraid i don't even remember what the name of the actor is but yeah i i just it just kind of it made me angry just watching yes. that bit and, and times it's, it's, in it's in these a films that seems
0: so harmless too at the same time it's like mm. you're watching this film that like otherwise it's uh like a boring rom-com or something like that and then it comes out of nowhere and you're like oh right that's that was America back then. Well, um, and Breakfast at Tiffany's, for example,
1: that's like nineteen, yeah, nineteen sixty, nineteen sixty-one, and there's just like the hideous Mickey Rooney, like yellow face, and it's just like, yeah. whoa, yep. <laughs> <laughs> why was yep. this? Why was this thought of as okay? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I- we keep getting off topic. I'm sorry. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. I keep doing this. Just just draw a line under it. Racism is bad, and we, we should <laughs> <laughs> Filmmakers, stop doing racism. Check. All right. I'm glad we've okay. cleared that up. <laughs> right. So uh, so uh, on onto on the film. So this is uh, the point where we say a a word of Russian, and that word of Russian is "payekhly," which means. Off we go. So, three, two, one, Pi And we're back. Martin and I have just watched Chapayev by the uh, Vasilyev supposed brothers. (laughs) And before we let you know what we thought of it, uh, we're just going to go over to Martin for a brief summary of the plot. As always, spoiler warnings in effect. I mean, this is about a historical figure, admittedly somewhat obscure in the West, but it's kind of like known what happens. But still, if you don't know the story and don't want to know before you watch the film, this is the time to you know, go and watch the film. All right, with that out of the way, over to you, Martin.
0: Sure. Um, The film, it's about the real Red Army commander Vasily Chapayev, who uh, fought against the Czechoslovak Legion and the White Army during the Civil War. And it's uh, following his exploits with, I guess, his, his trusty sidekick uh, Petka, <laughs> and Petka's love interest, uh, Anna or Anka, I think, depending which version you watch. And uh, also, another major character is um, Commissar Firmanov, who is a fictionalized version of the author of the novel that the film, it's, I guess, not officially based on, but the novel was sort of a phenomenon in its own right. So the film is kind of based on it, except not really because they went back to the journals and sort of uh, wrote it from scratch. There's not that many scenes that translate from the book to the film. And um, there's lots of action, there's drama, and uh, I don't know if I should spoil the ending right here or if that's okay with you.
1: Well, put it it this way. Okay,
0: (laughs) so last spoiler
1: warning out the way. Uh... Chapayev's dates are, uh, 1887 to 1919, which is the year that the film is set. So that, you know, that pretty much tells you what the ending is.
0: Right. Um, he goes out in a uh, pretty exciting fashion, machine gunning, he's wounded, and then he, he's uh, crossing the river and is shot and drowns or is killed while, uh, in the river. So that's, that's what happens to Chapaev. But, um... Yeah that's the the film i guess basically in broad strokes um
1: yeah you you've kind of got a a setup where we we spend most of our time with with the reds but we also get to know the whites uh, a little bit as well and it kind of <laughs> the villainous
0: whites twirling yes. their mustaches <laughs>
1: although chapayev's mustache has to be one of the like the great cinematic moustaches it's it's, yeah, it's, a pretty it's good mustache truly a, truly
0: a thing of a thing of wonder um <laughs> i like uh, the whites go marching at the battle with uh cigars the, the, the commanders are chomping on cigars while they're marching in, and yeah. there's those big banners with the skulls on them. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Have you seen uh, the, the Mitchell and Webb sketch?
1: Oh, of course. Yeah. Oh we, <laughs> are the, we baddies? the baddies? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I have to say that did, that did spring to mind, I must say. <laughs> Uh, and 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 also, yeah. I mean, I knew that the uh, Czechoslovak Legion was involved in the Civil War, but I didn't know specifically that they sort of like they don't even really appear. They they're kind of like at the very beginning of the film they
0: run away pretty quick
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) so i just i i just thought it's really funny that i'm talking uh, to a a guy of 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 czech origin about this film (laughs) and it just starts off just you know making making it clear that you know the czechs are the bad guys i mean they're not the bad guys in this film but they're bad and you shouldn't like them
0: (laughs) no well uh I think the Czechoslovak Legion, it might have even had been formed before Czechoslovakia was a country. Like, it mm. was, I think, formed early on, and basically they were sent in to try to, you know, support the Tsarists, and for a while they did okay, and I think they sort of dissipated <laughs> to, towards the end of the war when uh, things became clear, but I, I think at one point they were only, like, two days away from actually rescuing the Tsar and their family, so they... They didn't make it on time for that, but, you know, they were there and they were doing things. So it was just kind of neat yeah. for me to see it in the opening scene with them kind of running for their lives.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and and of course, the um, the Tsar and his family were in Yekaterinburg when they were executed. So the Czechs were like, they were a long way from home because yeah. that's it's properly in Siberia. I mean, it's not like all the way across, but it's all you're not in European Russia at that point. I'm no. pretty. Sh- I'm pretty sure it's the it's the other side of the Urals. So, yeah, they must have been like, "Why are we here again?" Oh yeah, sure. communism bad. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Oh man. So yeah. So we've got got the checks out the way, <laughs> seen them off. Um.
0: <laughs> well, and it- I think the film it's paced very well as far as like you know quick action scene at the beginning character growth the relationships some like little drama big kind of triumphant action scene then um denouement with the tragic action scene <laughs> like yeah you know for an hour and a half film like i think it really moves like the um <laughs> the, the uh, vasilia brothers I, they started off as editors right
1: yes i had read that so yeah you can definitely tell that they know how to pace a film
0: you know, it really moves. Actually, for a an hour and a half film, like I think some people have this idea that older films are all very slow and kind of dreary, and uh, I guess even boring compared to like films today. But mm. you know, if you've ever seen like a three hour long Transformer film, <laughs> you know <that laughs> I've, not... I've
1: kind of deliberately avoided
0: putting myself through right. that. <laughs> you know, but I, I think people sort of forget like a film from nineteen thirty four can be uh, exciting and fast paced, and mm. I, I think. I, I consider this entertaining. So,
1: oh, definitely. I mean, the action is definitely weighted towards the last half hour for the most part. Yeah, a- as you said. But the good thing about that is you do care about the characters because they have spent the time building them up, and that's <laughs> that's so key to making a making a movie where you actually care about people. Like
0: also, like the the way the characters are developed. One thing that kind of impresses me is that Chapayev is not portrayed as this, like, sort of boring, stoic hero. He's actually kind mm. of a flawed character. <laughs> oh, know, yeah. You know, he doesn't always yeah. do the right thing. And, like, um, of course, you know, it's modified from when you read about the real Chapayev, like, mm. you know. But I think as a character for this film, I, I find him really likable. <laughs> like, you know, he actually makes mistakes and... Uh, He's he's got a bit of an ego, like there he is a bit where where he, he
1: literally almost literally does the do you know who I am thing, yes. which is normally not the most ingratiating thing, but uh
0: But he has this sort of melancholy side too. Like he almost comes across uh maybe not like manic depressive, but he has these like big bouts of energy and then he's kind of like sad singing on the floor and thinking about the future and that sort of thing and mm. uh and, you know, he does some questionable things. Like, I think when he shoots the deserters, it's uh, it's sort of meant to be, like, justified within the context of how the film was portrayed. Although, oh, like, I think yeah. today it feels like it's, it's a real failing of the character. Like, uh, the book gets into a little bit about that. Um, you know, they, they sort of point out that, you know, up till that point, Chapayev had always used his charisma and his sort of natural character to kind of sway people. And at that <clears> point, <throat> he's using violence and it feels just making you know, like an example a... of like if you don't want to be like
1: them then you better you know drop into yeah. line yeah you
0: know so it feels like like to me that actually plays interesting because it feels like a failing of the character um but i think like at the time it would have been seen as like oh yeah chapayev is doing it so it's okay to kill whoever doesn't go along. yeah with it.
1: and they totally deserved it yeah i thought it was interesting that they're like the most summary quote-unquote justice is is meted out against you know traitors and and deserters i was kind of like hmm no wonder stalin loved this film so much (laughs) actually about that like i i read that he that within two years of this coming out he'd watched it 38 times and he watched (laughs) it 11 times in about two the initial two weeks so the guy was Obsessed with this film. I mean, and that's so weird.
0: Film, like, he, yeah, he loved this, and he loved uh, John Wayne westerns. <laughs> like, that's what Stalin liked to watch.
1: So. Yeah, and he heavily involved himself in the Soviet film industry to mm-hmm. the point that he kind of like accidentally kind of it. <laughs> strangled it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> and it wasn't because he deliberately wanted to do that. It's just that everyone was so freaking scared, and his mm-hmm. standards were so like high but at the same time very difficult to pin down from what i understand that just people were really scared of making a mistake and it was also really difficult to find anyone to make films because they really weren't willing to take a chance on somebody who who hadn't you know proved themselves already there's an episode of uh sean guillory's sean's russia blog podcast mm-hmm. where maria bella dubrovskaya uh, talked to talked to him about the stalinist film industry it's really fascinating but just like right. oh my goodness know, you know like, if you've ever had trouble at life, work
0: like there were so few films actually being made you know mm. it's looking like it's kind of shocking to see like you know, you think Soviet film, they must be producing so many films, but it's like, oh, this year they only made five movies total? Like, it's kind of shocking.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like you've got all of the resources of the state at your disposal, and that's not really making... That's not really counting for very much. Mm-hmm.
0: And, like, there was always red tape to go through. I know mm. Chapai of the film, uh, it took almost a decade to get made. Like, they started making it, well... um, Fermanov uh, was still alive. He actually wrote the first draft.
1: Yeah, because he died. He died quite young. Yeah,
0: and his draft I think was rejected. Um, I, I haven't actually read the novel, but like a couple people kind of mentioned that it's sort of rough around the edges. Like mm. maybe he wasn't the best writer, even though it was very popular.
1: T- tell you, tell you what. Um, I was hoping you might mention that just because, um, <laughs> the the writer Maxim Gorky gave him some feedback, and it is a and I've, I've got the book here, okay. and it's a, a sick, sick burn. So, <laughs> so thank right. you for giving me the opportunity. So, uh, so quote, um, I don't think I have to explain to you the enormous significance of form in art. Its decisive significance. Every carpenter, when making a chair, is concerned that his chair should not turn out looking like a cupboard or a chest of drawers, unquote.
0: <laughs> That's pretty great yeah it's it's just like i mean yeah gorky dropping the literary burns yeah yeah (laughs) back in your place upstart well from what i was reading it almost sounded like his journals were more interesting than the book itself because like Mm. he did kind of censor a lot and i mean there's one big thing i we could talk about that kind of got removed from both the book and also the film that
1: yeah absolutely he kind of played
0: around with but um his wife
1: uh who was called amna
0: right uh she, she wrote the second draft of the screenplay but um I mean, she was there with him when he was assigned to follow uh chapayev as the commissar and i guess during that time
1: yeah we should probably <laughs> explain for anyone who hasn't Watched the film and then, and therefore hasn't picked it up from watching the film. What a commissar is,
0: it's like Um, a political officer sort of help make sure that these maybe partisan groups are kind of, uh, or even regular, regular, or even just regular Red Army, you know, fell in with the political goals, (laughs) yeah, to to, you know, make sure they behaved, yeah,
1: yeah. It seems like the worst thing that you can imagine as a as a military officer like trying to get a job done you have someone basically like backseat driving your uh your decisions. so i mean the 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 communists are kind of famous for this but it, i think it dates back to the um the french revolution they had like representatives on mission who were very similar and they mm-hmm. were always like nope <laughs> you can't <laughs> it- do that that's well, that's not the what film we want portrays
0: him very positively like he's almost like a paternalistic figure for Chapayev he kind of like guides him when he's you know maybe going off course letting his men uh loot the peasants and stuff like yeah. that which is is uh, you know definitely cleaning up how things actually were between them but mm. you know if you see a film like um, Trial on the Road by Alexei Garman which is set during the Second World War like the political officer is portrayed much less favorably he's a very human <laughs> character but at the same time he's like
1: a, a bit more true to life yeah a maybe bit more true
0: to life I-, I would say like you know this uh the relationship between for Ob and chapayev in the film it's very idealized and it's sort of like you know even though there's some friction between them at first and he's like he doesn't really like him it's like okay you might not like the political officer at there at first but he's there to help and like, you know, there's some tension between them when he's like, okay, who's who's the boss? You or me? And he's like, you and me. Yeah, yeah. But there's <laughs> but...
1: Yeah, there's almost like a sort of like buddy cop comedy dynamic yeah. to it where they initially, right, meet. they're right. very different. They have different styles of working. They don't really like each other, but they kind of grow to develop a grudging respect by the end. It's like, exactly. it's, yeah. so, it's so much like that. Although, of course, <laughs> because it's 1934, that... I don't, I guess that uh, that trope didn't really exist at that point, but it is really funny watching <laughs> it sort of th- through that lens.
0: <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, there's a lot of action movie tropes actually in this, and I don't know if... Like, I assume it must have been influential for mm. people outside of Russia as well. Like, I, you know, I sort of wonder if... Uh, guys like Sergio Leone making the Italian Spaghetti Westerns would have seen this, or if Akira Kurosawa would have seen this. I was
1: going to say Kurosawa. Some of the the cavalry charging stuff was just like, this looks like it's right out of Seven
0: Samurai. Yeah, like, I have no idea if he would have seen it, but it seems so kind of familiar, and, like, it, it made me think of that like that, especially that sort of, approach to realism and how the actions shot like i i would be shocked if he hadn't seen it actually Mm.
1: yeah the only thing i wondered is just like i know pre-second world war japan was super like we really 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 don't like the communists yeah really what right wing so it might have been difficult to get a hold of i don't know um but who knows
0: I think like that's always true for like the general public when there's a clampdown but like for people who are into film like they always kind of find ways around it like even the Vasilia brothers like I was reading somewhere they had um it might have been in the book actually that mm. they had a job censoring Films and re editing like Western films for Russian audiences, which means they were watching Western films, you know. So
1: I think that was in the book because that sounds yeah. very familiar,
0: right? So, you know, like I, I think if you're into film and you're making films, like you do kind of find a way to see what's out there and sniff things out, even if like officially you're, you know, the general public doesn't really have access to it. Yeah, yeah
1: they're not playing on the in the uh in the cinema on the on the on the corner. Yeah, yeah, you kind of know people and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have ways of getting getting hold of stuff. Oh, yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, uh, about your your aliens comparison, I thought there was, <laughs> um, there was some stuff which, may maybe J- James Cameron had uh, had had seen this, but there was some of the stuff with like the machine guns and the bullets and like mm, we've got a very limited supply that right. was that did remind me me of that. I mean, I think if it, I had not I mean,
0: it could be coincidental, but it's just like I, th- I think those kinds of action tropes. Seeing them being formed for the first time, and uh, yeah, you know, it, it's sort of it, like compared to a lot of other kind of adventure films from around the time period. Like this feels maybe more close, like it feels closer to the sensibilities of like later action films that I've, I'm more familiar with. If that makes sense,
1: yeah. I mean, I I was surprised by how well paced it was. Like like you mentioned, you know, one does tend to have. Prejudices about what a 1930s film is going to is going to be like, and what sort of limitations they're going to be working with. I was really impressed with this visually. I mean, yeah, there's quite a lot of scenes which are people standing around in, in, in rooms, but the when they do actually get outside, it's you know, it's big groups of people m- moving around in formation, and just knowing that that's real people and not CGI makes it so
0: much more impressive. And it's shot. It's this great blend of, like, a more realistic approach than something like Battleship with Hamkin, but it's also very dynamic at the same time, and I always associate that kind of exciting, dynamic sort of uh, photography with uh, Soviet cinema, you know, it it definitely lives up to that, the angles they choose, the close-ups on faces, there's still, like, a little bit of the silent movie acting that we were talking about, like, towards the end when, like, the you know, that the white Cossacks are coming in and Anka's, like, making these faces, like, oh no, and then uh, yeah, Chapayev comes to the rescue and it's, like, the hurrah phase. Like, that feels very silent movie-ish, but for the most part, I, I think it feels pretty, I don't know, like, pr- pretty fresh for the time period.
1: Mm. And and the montage in that in that big sequence where you do have all these like really smart, fearsome-looking white army soldiers approaching the <laughs> machine gun positions, and and just the way the sound is used, and and the and the montaging back and forth between the folks manning the well, I say manning the machine guns. You've got Anka is is there on one of the machine guns as as well. So yeah, and the way it's just cutting back and forth between them advancing, it's kind of like that seems you know advanced, and yeah. I mean yes. <laughs> eisenstein was was doing that sort of thing with the step sequence so it's it's not that unprecedented but it's still it looks really
0: good and is really effective i feel like you know it sort of takes what eisenstein was doing with that step sequence and it's like okay we're going to tone it back and make it a little bit more subtle and make it more accessible I, i think for a wide audience that's sort of part of the reason why i think the film is such a huge hit it kind of takes those techniques and it makes it you know, it just takes a very simple approach to it, and you it doesn't feel that experimental, really. Like you know, it feels uh, polished for what it is.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Um. Going back to the kind of tropy stuff, I think this is the earliest film that I've seen where you have a character operating a machine gun and you're getting like the muzzle flashes like reflected <laughs> on their face i was kind of like i was like wow i did not expect to see that in this <laughs>
0: right oh the, the machine gun scenes are so cool <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah on the one hand it's a machine gun it's a you right. know a nasty death-dealing contraption but yeah years of watching action films as programmed wondering <laughs> <be> like cool <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's that's what i feel when i watch it i, I know it's like juvenile but i'm like oh wow <laughs> yeah
1: yeah there's 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 a t- teenage boy <laughs> sort of it's somewhere it's still yeah um yeah i was i was impressed and and some of the um some of the landscape stuff was 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 really atmospheric i thought like um the the scene where pietka goes out on his scouting mission and he's uh, saying goodbye to to anka and you just see him kind of like leaving you know over the hill and it, the sun setting and you've got yeah. all these silhouettes it's like that just that just
0: looks good that doesn't yeah. look good for the time it just looks great a lot of beautiful images in it uh- I also find uh, there's a lot of humor in it that not that many people talk about when they discuss the film or, you know, you don't see it mentioned a lot. But like, especially in the first half, I'd say there's there's quite a few jokes sort of sprinkled in just to kind of lighten things up and
1: yeah 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 <laughs> and and the stuff with the with the potatoes where chapayev is, <laughs> is kind of showing the the eye position and that actually reminded me a little bit of uh, of the four feathers where in, in a very right. different context but uh when you've got like this old general uh talking you know telling his war stories about the crimean war and he's kind of moving all this stuff on the dinner table around and it's it's <laughs> kind of like that except you know the the, yeah. the trappings couldn't be more different <laughs> But uh, right. yeah, well,
0: it's also like, you know, it helps you understand that like Chapaev, he's maybe not really strategically minded. Um, in real life, they said he wasn't really interested in theory or strategy. Like he was, you know, lover of adventure more than uh, anything else. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, kind of
1: fortune and glory.
0: Yeah. And he, like, I think they said he got sent off to the military academy and he basically asked like hey send me back like
1: yeah this sucks i don't like this
0: i'm like a barely literate person like all this stuff is kind of intuitive to me so Mm. you know like the potato scene kind of gives you the impression that like chapayev he's like street smart and brave and not really like you know the master tactician that he kind of gets compared to you know especially when they're like, it's funny when you know he gets compared to like Napoleon, and he's like, "Oh yeah, Napoleon had it easy. He didn't have to deal with airplanes." And... Which you know is <laughs> you know?
1: is a valid is a valid point. <laughs> uh, um, and I yeah, I like I like the way that it illustrates the kind of difference between like as you say his his kind of street smarts and like the formal education, yes. and it shows that he is he's good at thinking on his feet though because there's that there's again it's it's part of the humor and one of the guys in in this big crowd is like so uh Chupayev, are you for the communists <laughs> or the bolsheviks right <laughs> and and you know this is a very much i'm sure it's a wink to the audience it's like uh you know dumb mm. rustic um <laughs> peasant <laughs> type type thing and and then Chapayev says, oh, I'm for I'm for the international and and then the commissar kind of puts him on the spot because he's like, Well, which international? And, you know, this is where
0: uh <laughs> he's kind of like well, doesn't he say like, well, which one's he's like, I'm for the right one. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And
1: and Yeah, and the commissar is like, no, I'm gonna push you on this. He doesn't say that, but he he's he is like, and which one is that? Because you've got the second international, and you've got the third international, and Chapayev because he's because he's smart, goes, well, which one was Lenin in? And yes. he's like, well, it was the third one. In that case, that one. And the commissar is kind of like, okay, fair enough, fair enough.
0: <laughs> which also, like, there, there's definitely uh, a dimension to that that relates to the 1934 politics when he had still-living mm. Civil War heroes who were uh, Trotskyites and that right, sort of thing right. who were being disappeared right around that time. Like, I know uh, Konstantin Simonov who... Um, was like a famous writer, and he co wrote uh 20 Days Without Or, Well, it's like from his notes that Alexei Germain made the film 20 Days Without War. Gosh, yeah, he hooked up with him after seeing uh Trial on the Road. But like at the time, 1930s, he was sort of criticizing Chapaya for you know basically <laughs> celebrating this dead hero, uh, who was maybe like not that. Big of a hero compared to some other people who were, but who were being erased from history because it was, you know, they were in a politically inconvenient position. So I think like it's actually, like on one hand, it feels sort of surprising to be watching this uh, propaganda film where the hero's not really that interested in politics, but on the other, like I, I think it sort of serves a specific purpose that like you know he's sort of apolitical and dies heroically and that's acceptable, but. You know, if you believed in the wrong politics, that definitely wouldn't have been.
1: Yeah, and I I mean he's I wouldn't go as far as saying he's he's apolitical. He's just he knows what the right answer is, and he's yeah. just not that fussed about the ideological niceties in the way that the, the commissar right. is. Um and and yeah, like like you say, because he's because he's a guy who's not still walking around when the film comes out. That's that's fine. Mm-hmm. That's the standard that you need to meet. And, and, and
0: well, and then you read about the real Chopayev, and like, you know, he he was in the Tsar's army during World War One, and was not necessarily you know open communist until it became kind of advantageous for him to be, and was uh, you know maybe somebody who was just more interested in warfare than. You know the the kind of Bolshevik politics that were surrounding it. Like he seems like disinterested, or yeah, yeah.
1: On the other hand, you know he picked a side, and that side happened to be the the red right, side. Right. So I mean, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know enough about the specifics of his biography and his beliefs. You know why he did that, but mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, you know he it, there there is stuff where it's kind of like yeah yeah he's 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 for this side. He's just he's yeah just not that fussy right. about the specifics.
0: Well, I think, like, it, with the film's take on him, it kind of feeds into that, like, folk hero oh, quality. Yeah. Like, you know, he's like a Robin Hood. He's fighting the the rich or the, you know, the upper class, like Robin Hood. And he's, you know, from the, the lower class and uneducated, trying to make his way and proving that he's uh, smart and resourceful and all that sort of thing. Like, that that's a big part of why I think the character is popular. You know, mm. he's, the, he's uh, in a way, the scrappy underdog i guess oh definitely
1: yeah like it mentions he only learned to read 2 years ago i mean he says it himself um, and he,
0: he's pretty sensitive about like when <laughs> when he wants to promote a, a veterinarian to being a doctor and like the their his soldiers are kind of rolling their eyes at that and he gets kind of offended like you know oh you you don't you just don't want to see a bujik promoted to anything <laughs> like, he gets actually pretty touchy about you know people's idea that oh if somebody's um you know maybe not necessarily class but it's like oh you know if they're undereducated, they shouldn't be doing certain jobs and it's like you know you can tell Chepayev feels like oh i should be able to do anything or any you know anyone should be able to do anything like i think that's kind of where his heart is as a as a character in the film anyway
1: yeah and and that's probably what has him coming down on on the side of uh, of the reds rather mm-hmm. than rather than the this sort of the more like status quo you know know your place whites right. and that's that's where his sympathies are coming from <laughs> yes. rather than you know he's read everything uh, marx has written and thinks it's really great
0: <laughs> exactly yeah i i still think it's funny how like shifty he gets over the whole looting situation <laughs> like he was just going to let it slide and he's like like oh like i'm the only one who should be able to uh imprison one of my men and like you know, and then like very quickly comes around and gives this like very uh, inspiring speech about how uh, you know oh, there are brothers and we you know we shouldn't be looting and like if you catch me looting you can shoot me kind of a speech. yeah
1: and his whole business about like I'm only your commander when we're fighting the rest of the yeah. time I'm just one of the guys and you should treat me like that mm-hmm. it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting yeah
0: like, I, I it almost felt like you know was this supposed to be even cynical for people in 1934 seeing this, like I I think maybe you're seeing through a little bit or like there's a couple moments in the film where uh, I I think like, you know, that there's some irony going on um, at like at the very beginning when he's giving people a hard time for ditching their guns and like, Oh, I threw my gun in the river. And then the next guy's like, Oh, um, I, I stowed the machine gun, I hid it away by the shore, I'll go and get it. Yeah. You know, not that, like, I, I threw it away in uh, cowardice. And then there's just this one guy, there's a shot of, and he, like, he doesn't have a gun, and you can see him just lean in, <laughs> so it hides the fact that, like, he's he's slightly behind this other person, so Chepayev can't see that he doesn't have a gun. <laughs> oh, I totally missed that. <laughs> oh, I don't know, it got a laugh out of me. It, it, it's, um, you know, there, there's one or two things like that where it sort of makes me think, like, oh, okay, like, you're not always supposed to see Chapayev as like the moral voice for every situation, mm, or you know, mm. not not always supposed to be like on his side for everything.
1: Well, and he's not super consistent because right. uh, early on in the film, uh, when the commissar has just just arrived, he gives Chapayev a bit of a telling off for the state of the of the uniform. He's kind of like, you know, we need to be disciplined. We need to,
0: <laughs> and then flips that. He gives that same speech later on. To, exactly, um, and it's yeah. kind of like. <laughs> It's it's
1: yeah it's 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 only like five minutes ago that you came around to the idea that you kind of have to look a certain way, um, yeah.
0: But like I think you know again it makes him feel like a real character and it sort of speaks to his adaptability and his kind of embracing of uh, you know that the image that he's creating for himself. Actually, I love uh, you know when they finally sees the cabin and there's that propaganda poster of him running away oh the, like, yeah propaganda poster and he's just laughing at it and he's like oh like keep that i want to keep that yeah you know he's he's a character yeah
1: yeah on the one hand he does care about his his image and he has that whole don't you know who i am business some of the time mm-hmm. and you know sometimes speaks about himself in the third person but at the same time yeah he can laugh about himself he's not he's not like angry after the fact that that the, the the whites were you know painting him as a coward because he's he's secure right. enough in himself to be like yeah well i kind of showed them didn't i so
0: <laughs> so i you know i like it i i think like he feels three dimensional and you know it makes the film feel more alive than if it was just like ah brave chapayev uh, who you know doesn't change his expression once? Kind of a movie, you know, because you can find those too.
1: Yeah, yeah, and the the actor Boris Barbutchkin is mm-hmm. is super charismatic. He just He's he really just great. looks yeah.
0: great. I think he did get in trouble politically later on, but mm. uh, but I I think he met one of the directors in like theater school pretty early yeah. on. And yeah, I
1: think I read the, that.
0: And their uh, teacher at the theater theater school or the theater troupe. Played the evil white colonel,
1: mm, who again is is just a fantastic looking face.
0: He's great. It, it's like, uh, I mean, he's got a mustache on, but it makes me think of like von Stroheim or one of those guys, like you know, the monocle. Or I don't. Yeah. He's just such a like caricature kind of of a colonel, evil colonel that I, I kind of like it. Yeah,
1: although it, it, I don't know whether this whether the the scene of him playing the piano is kind of like just. I don't. I don't. I really didn't know how to read that because on the one hand, it's it, you know, it's showing his sensitive side, but he, mm-hmm. he's also, yeah, he's just given the order for his uh, his Batman's like I guess a brother to be to be executed, yeah. and it's just like oh wow. After
0: he finds out that he's his, he's like, oh, I didn't know he was your brother. Execute, execute. On the yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know, I, I think it was meant to be like that sort of contradiction of the you know high culture doesn't make you civilized you can still you know listen Mm. to this beautiful music and be a barbaric person like i I think that's kind of where that scene was coming from the actor who plays the the servant or the i guess he's a batman Mm. uh and he actually gives a really good performance too he's sort of oh he's great uh he's uh just by coincidence i i saw him also in v which i watched um shortly a little while ago when he plays uh, Cossack and that's a film mm. from 1960 so that's like 30 years later but...
1: yeah so they must have like the makeup he, he must be wearing either that or in V he's really really old but yeah because he looks <laughs> he looks kind of up there in years in this but
0: he might be like 60s or something in v. I, I didn't mm. check what his age was gotcha but, gotcha. Uh, yeah, like, I think he's also in um, Dovchenko's I think he's in Strike maybe okay. I, I'm gonna have to double check but like he, he's been in a bunch of things but um but that
1: scene where Pietka is going to take him him prisoner but then yeah then relents and doesn't that's i i found that genuinely like quite affecting Mm because you you know the guy just looks like so sad he looks so sad like his his brother's gonna die yeah yeah and and And... you know and you know like from a military point of view it's just like no you're the enemy screw you this is (laughs) you're coming with us Mm -hmm. Um, but you're like, oh, good for you, Petka. You did you did the humane thing rather than the, you know, right. going by the book.
0: And he almost gets in trouble I mean, for it. Which, like, if I was Petka, I would just lie. But, <laughs>
1: but then, yeah, I just didn't know, find the, uh, anyone.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but then the Batman comes back, so it, it turns out okay for Petka.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, and and that is an example of yeah, Chapaev being you know being a bit more of a you know by the book. No, the rule mm-hmm. is. You don't show compassion on the enemy, dumbass. <laughs> right. uh, I mean, he's like, yeah, I get it, but still, you should have taken the guy prisoner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's 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 kind of interesting, just showing like the, the you know the responsibility and the and the the difficulty of being in command is that is that sometimes the uh, the humane thing really isn't <laughs> the 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 sound military <laughs> decision.
0: Right. I think like a lot of war films kind of or you know more sensitive war films or anti-war films kind of struggle with that aspect of uh, you know what the humane thing is to do versus what the militaristic thing is to do with uh, well
1: what, what the thing is you have to do in order to win the war yeah.
0: Right. Right. So like a lot of films sort of struggle with that theme. Um, yeah,
1: but I was surprised that a film like this produced in this climate was even raising something like
0: that Mm -hmm. like it's it, it ends up being like i think the message that you're meant to take away from it in that propagandistic context is like hey the guy's just a batman he's not really like Like, he's basically a servant, and, you know, his enemy is the white colonel, too. Like, you know, really, he's on our side, and it's just, like, you have to give him that chance. I think, like, it's Mm, kind of coming from there. You know, it's like, of course, he's going to turn around and surrender and join them. But, uh, you know, like, he's the one sort of character on the white side where he's portrayed as, like, a very sympathetic character
1: yeah yeah although the the general yeah he's portrayed as nasty but he is also portrayed as competent which yes. again I, I guess that just means it's effective propaganda Yeah,
0: you know, I, like i think it speaks to the the savviness of the propaganda side of this film like you know when we were talking earlier like it's not beat you over the head propaganda but it's still like consistently nothing but propaganda <laughs> like you know it's propaganda that's entertaining and he's like it's it's um
1: Well, that's the most insidious kind is the the stuff where you have to actually be, you know, be paying attention rather than, yeah, Battleship Potomkin is really, like, biffy around the nose with it.
0: Yeah. And, like, propaganda that's obvious is also very easy to dismiss, you know, and Mm. I think uh, when you're watching something as entertainment and just kind of consuming it, it's a lot easier to just digest and internalize that propaganda and that ideology. Like, I think you know, people should be, uh, you know, maybe a little bit wary of some of the things they watch and what they're actually saying. And uh, I mean, you know, some people might take it too far reading, <laughs> you know, reading like way into certain things. But, uh, you know, just sometimes like the consumable entertainment, you actually have to like stop and think like, you know, what's this actually saying, you know?
1: And and even and even if you come to the the final conclusion that say, 300 isn't promoting fascism maybe it is who knows um i'm not, i'm not pinning my colors to the mast but it's worth asking the question right and like, like as you say it's it's good to be in in that habit of not just being like oh well you know i'm sure nobody has an agenda here so right just turn your brain off
0: and I don't, I, I don't know. Maybe I, I, there's no takeaway to be had from that film. I don't know. But uh, no the
1: ma- the main the main takeaway is violence is cool, <laughs> <laughs>
0: the, 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 right? Uh, that's the main takeaway from Three Hundred. Uh, anyway, it's, speaking of uh, violence is cool, uh, mm. have uh, No, sorry. Um, I was going to make some connection to Alexander the Great, which comes up in Chapayev, and I f- totally forgot my segue. But <laughs> <laughs> no, no
1: worries. but yeah, that that was an example of 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 where you know the like formally educated book smart commissar comes up against the the more rustic Chapayev. Yeah,
0: right. He, he hasn't heard of Alexander the Great, and then
1: and and, he, and he's really miffed by it. He's he's like, I should know who this guy is. Yeah. And he's irked. He doesn't like it.
0: Well, and he does kind of get the last word on it because, you know, when the commissar is trying to correct his uh, his appearance, his decorum, Chapayev is like, well, how do you know how Alexander the Great... He lived dressed? 200 he lived years ago. 2,000 years ago,
1: yeah. Yeah, 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 sorry. T- yes, <laughs> 2,000 years,
0: yeah. And, uh, you know, so, like, again, that's the kind of cleverness of Chapayev. Like, he might be ignorant, but he's not stupid you
1: know yeah and and they're not synonyms yeah they are yes. they're, they're generally yes <laughs> which is <laughs> which is a distinction that is easy to easy to miss, and particularly if you are somebody who has had you know a decent formal education is that that there, there is like kind of a built in temptation with that to assume that people who don't have that you know so sure, i mean I've met don't some know uneducated
0: people, so it goes. Both <laughs>
1: Well, well, yes. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, exactly. Sorry, I was kind of getting slightly on my moral <laughs> moral high horse there, but...
0: <laughs> no, that, that's fine. Well, uh, like, I was going to say, reading about uh, the real Ferbinov and Chapayev's relationship, like, it seems like it was quite a bit different. Like, he was still... It was fraught, but in a different way. <laughs> it, it was fraught in a different way. Right, right. Like, I don't, it sounds like he had a kind of... Um, like maybe an inferiority complex around this guy who, you know, was very charismatic and very... Oh, definitely. That definitely came across. Like, I really, like, I think if you ever remade this film or, you know, made a new Chapaya film, like, I think if you went back to, like, the original diaries and, like, try to be sort of true to history, it would be really interesting because, like, that story to me is more interesting, actually, than what ends up on screen. Mm. And, uh, you know, the the whole idea of Firminov, uh his wife having an affair with Chapayev, and that's why he...
1: Yeah, although the, I just the, my reading of the book was not necessarily that an affair happened, it's just that Chapaev was kind of sniffing around.
0: Right. I mean, it's hard to tell because, like, I think th- those diaries were kind of uh, suppressed and didn't come out till later, and it was sort of like a literary scandal a little bit, and, uh, like... It, it's sort of vague the way it's written and like, mm. oh, like, Chapayev, what do you mean like writing this letter that says, like, I love you at the end of it to my wife and that kind yeah, of thing. So, which, hard know, to tell. Fair enough. Yeah, which, <laughs> you know, fair enough. Fair enough. But that's basically the reason why Firminov requested a transfer. Mm. And that was... Yeah, which like, the film does not a... cover. No, in, in the film it's like, my work here is done. <laughs> my, my planet needs me, Chapayev. <laughs> 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 you know, here's my replacement. <laughs> yeah (laughs) so like it's very different it's like well you know like i gotta move on like there's other people who need me like here's your new commissar and you know they have that very kind of emotional he gives the new commissar a pretty cold shoulder too but you know they have that very warm goodbye where he gives him a hug and a kiss
1: yeah it's like they go to they go to shake hands and he's like no come here man yeah (laughs) gives him a big (laughs) hug
0: and a kiss yeah and uh but like you know real life uh he left and that was only about a month before Chapayev was killed, so he actually mm. felt like he had really complicated feelings after he wrote uh, something to his wife, which is basically yeah. Because
1: like, I think after he had been moved, I I think I remember reading that he basically regretted it and tried to ask for the the order to to go somewhere else to be rescinded, and they were like, yeah. "No, we've we've decided, so off you go." Um, so yeah, that was that was interesting. I mean, like, well,
0: and then like telling his wife, like and then feeling like really guilty after chapayev gets killed and like telling his wife like also hey i love you and i forgive you for anything that happened between you and chapayev because like if i didn't get jealous i'd be dead <laughs> like yeah it's just these really complicated feelings that i found really interesting and like mm. that's a real kind of strange human love triangle that like you know like apparently he kind of put it or played with putting it in the book and then took it out and then he well put it in the screenplay and took it out and he sort of never really knew what to do with these feelings, I think, which I don't like. I yeah.
1: And the fact in 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 the book, as I understand, he changed the name, so the the yeah. the commissar is a different guy who doesn't have his name. And then in the film, they changed it back. I mean, yes. I imagine partly because Fermanov by that point was dead. But yeah, right. there's definitely you can definitely see a remake which has a kind of like Mozart, Salieri, Amadeus,
0: yes, thing yeah, that, going that along because
1: because yeah. you've got. Yeah, you've got the guy who has has all the formal education but doesn't have like the raw talent no, that, like, or charisma. Like to if your wife's house.
0: attracted to like this other guy who's like charming and a natural leader and it's just like he's everything that you're not and how that makes you feel but you also kind of love the guy and like feel bad when he does like because I, the I charisma know, I... works on you too. Because the charisma works on you too. Like I could see that and being you hate really that interesting. Does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh definitely. You know, so I think like just reading you know the periphery stuff in preparation like i found that to be the most interesting just that that side of the story which you know hasn't really been told anywhere properly
1: yeah can't can't necessarily see that coming out of the the modern russian federation right now (laughs) i I,
0: I guess not yeah
1: On, on the other hand it's it's they have such a a weird thing with with film in that you've got Zvegintsev making films that are very scathing about modern realities it's almost like yeah. a things couldn't be possibly be as bad as they're depicted in this because otherwise you know we wouldn't allow this to be shown there's kind of like this sort of smarter about censorship than the soviets were because the soviets mm-hmm. were just like anything that's critical that's not happening unless unless you know we're genuinely not paying attention because obviously we've on this podcast we've we've covered uh welcome or no trespassing which is just right. is insane that that got that that got past them but uh um but yeah generally there was there was a like no can't do that can't say that this isn't allowed
0: i think also like russian audiences always sort of liked things that are tinged with sadness like mm. I, I forget which hollywood movie it was but it's like well you know that or uh w- which film it was i forget now the story but it's like uh, they had to shoot one version where the you know the couple meet and fall in love at the end and then that's for the american audience and then for the russian audience like oh like the guy dies you know <laughs> it yeah, always has well, to be a little bit like that and you know even the romance in chapayev which is still pretty it's pretty tame but like mm. you know Petka has to die at the end and that that story of that Chapayev says about oh after the war you're going to be happy and you know you're going to wish you live forever and everything like you know that becomes again a- ironic and sort of tainted with melancholy because you know it's not going to happen and um and then there's mm-hmm. the use of
1: the song Chyorny Voron which is like black crow um yes and this was a song I was actually familiar with before the, the film is it's a very famous russian folk song that's been around for a long long time um and basically i I don't know how well subtitled it was in the version that i saw it was kind of intermittent but i mm-hmm. kind of knew it anyway so it's basically like this this guy you know who's who i think he's been wounded and he can see these crows flying around and he's basically like go away crows you can't have me mm-hmm. and then at the end of the song he he realizes, okay, I'm definitely dying. Crow, you get to have me after all kind of thing. That's yeah. sort of the gist of it. So the fact that that's in this film and Chepaev is one of the people singing it, it's very much a, like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> we all know this guy dies at the end kind of thing if you're the Russian audience, at least.
0: I mean, the way it's portrayed in the film, I, I get the sense that like Chepaiev as a character, he's sort of, he knows that he can only kind of get away by the skin of his teeth so many times, like, mm. just playing this game sooner or later, it's gonna end bad for him. Yeah. You know, the way he's talking to, like, Pepka and uh, Anka, like, you know, he he's talking like he's not gonna be around for that, <laughs> you know? He's... I-, I think he doesn't expect to live through the war in the way he's portrayed in the film anyway. Mm.
1: Well, and going back to the sort of comedy potato scene, there's there's this thing where, like, he's- he basically says that on paper, he... Believes that, that it's important for the commander to to live and to put himself in a position where right. he protects himself so he doesn't get killed and so the men still have leadership. And then one of his men is like, Yeah, but you know that's that's a lie. You know you're always in the thick of the action. He's like, right. Yeah, well there are there are <laughs> when necessary. So it's yeah. kinda like just acknowledging that's that that he kind of knows that there's
0: there's uh, a fatalism to his character like yeah you know, that really comes through in the final action set piece you know mm. when he's up in the top of the building and they they're shooting the machine gun out the window as the armored car comes up and
1: oh yeah that 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 is kind of like menacing how that's used yeah. just like
0: uh oh <laughs> right you know and him swimming in the river being like you know you're not going to get me you, you know I'm,
1: they t- they totally are
0: <laughs> you know th- th- it feels like um maybe not metaphorical because i think that's how he really died but you know yeah. it, it just feels like you know somebody's almost in over their head and then they're in over their head you know it's just mm. like you can only kind of keep it up for so long until until yeah. they get you it catches up with
1: you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I remember hearing that in the uh pre-World War I era, so super super early uh mm-hmm. cinema, there was a thing similar to what you were saying that but it was a regular thing. There was like a supposedly a Russian ending that you would, you would often just have a different ending to films where yes, the lead character died. And that, that was just the version they showed in Russia because that was apparently what the audience was into it's just that's so weird and yeah please listener if you know if you can verify that this is an actual thing and not just you know (laughs) a horrible stereotype coming out then then please let us know
0: um i'm gonna have to think of what what it was specifically but like just you know speaking to your point about showing things in a kind of depressing way i think mm. like you know you can sort of be depressing without necessarily being critical of like the reasons why or Mm. like uh, there's a film i think it's called the fool which came out a couple years ago i don't know if you've seen it about the apartment building that has the the fault in it
1: no i haven't i haven't seen it but i i've seen the very evocative poster i was kind of like huh maybe i should see that at some
0: point okay you you might want to check that out at some time Mm. for the the podcast because that's one that deals with uh, contemporary russian issues and and it does it in a in a pretty playful way, but it, it's you know less about the depressing reality and more about bureaucracy and more about uh corruption <laughs> that sort of thing, I, I would mm. say. And it kind of actually targets maybe some of the reasons why. But yeah, that does sound
1: interesting. We'll ha- definitely have to check that one out. So I f- I feel like we're kind of reaching a kind of natural end to the podcast. I guess mm-hmm. I just I did want to just mention that one of the other, and it's a super fascinating book, Julian Graffy's Chapayev. It's it's well worth if you can get a hold of it, uh, uh, picking picking up. They mentions that in the Second World War, the film was re-shown for its its propaganda potential, but it also used the fact that you know how, you know what they say, always leave it open for a sequel. They did actually make a short film in which Chapayev, like it turns out, he's not dead and. Uh... <laughs> And basically, you know, he comes along and just like you didn't think they got me right, and it's just a very World War Two propaganda, you know, go and get the enemy type th- thing. And I'm, I'm curious to see whether I can find that because it sounds it sounds ridiculous, but also also kind of fun at the same time.
0: Yes, I, I would be curious to see it. Also, just.
1: Um, I don't remember whether the book said or not whether it was barbachkin reprising the role of Chapayev. i I feel like it would have had to have been, and it was World War two was close enough to when this film came out. That you could do that without it just being insane that you're casting this guy as the same character many right. years later or something like that, but yeah, I just thought I was an interesting little coder yep
0: yeah. i wish I wish I could have somebody fire a gun into the air to make everyone quiet when I wanted to think <laughs> oh oh yeah. A great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I realized I, I made a mistake. It tends earlier, to get right?
1: you arrested these days. <laughs>
0: uh, it's, it's fun to think about. <laughs> it's just it's so ridiculous. Like oh, like Chapayev needs to think. Like everyone, quiet. <laughs> you Knock, it quiet. <laughs> yeah. Knock it off. Knock <laughs> it <laughs> Um, and I, I I realized I I said uh, the actor who plays the Batman. He. Oh yeah. Uh, so the, his first film was in Dovzhenko's Earth. I think I said Dovjenko's Strike, which is double wrong because that's Eisenstein's Strike. And yeah, yeah, I, I so I screwed up there. But uh, no, no uh, worries. <laughs> I'll, do, uh, uh, I'll do a very yeah
1: <laughs> a very obvious edit where I just drop you saying like <laughs> saying Earth in a very different
0: tone of voice right over the top, and no one will know. Uh, but i i think that's about it i guess
1: yeah uh, so where can listeners find your your other other stuff um if they if they're curious about
0: checking that out uh best place is on twitter at @moviekessler that's where i do all my updates and ridiculous things <laughs> awesome um
1: yeah it's well worth giving martin a follow it's, it's so interesting i i learn so much film stuff just <laughs> you know on a regular basis <laughs> sorry that's, that was the most awkward <laughs> no, i'll take it <laughs> <laughs> um yeah off the cuff uh <laughs> plug you'll ever receive but uh, <laughs> never mind <laughs> anyway so martin thank you so much for for coming on again this is um i probably wouldn't have seen this this film i wouldn't have heard of it I mean I probably would have come across it eventually, but certainly the fact that you were interested in in covering it moved it right up the priority list. So so thank <laughs> you very uh, much.
0: And I promise now that you've seen it, you'll see it everywhere. It's it's like one of those things where, oh, like now that you know what it is, it's it's all over the place.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right. Well, uh take care and uh Das Vidania, folks. Dust Danya. So that's it for this episode, but before I go, I'd like to thank Sasha Ilukovich and the highly skilled migrants for the use of their song Cold in our intro. You can find that song and the rest of their back catalogue on Bandcamp and Spotify. If you're enjoying the show, please consider supporting us by leaving a rating at Apple Podcasts or at Podchaser.com. That second one, Podchaser, even lets you rate individual episodes, so if this episode particularly stood out to you, you can let other listeners know that you enjoyed it. Recommending the show on social media is hugely helpful as well. If you can spare a moment or two to do that, it would really make my day. Thank you, thank you very much. Speaking of social media... Please find us and say hi on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. You can also drop us a line at rusfilesunite at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, take care of yourselves, and bye for now. Чёрный ворон, чёрный ворон,
0: что ты вьёшь?
1: Uh...